Well, and that's that's the main thing that I want to address is that like I think the anarchist critiques here really provide a a workable knowledge of how to avoid in many cases the ossification and stagnant stagnation of bureaucracy sure. that can and does happen in many Marxist projects, but also that there is a weird there's like a freewheeling idealism that is that these critiques are usually accompanied by that I think really needs to be scrubbed away. If you're going to use them effectively, you need to realize which situations that they're really appropriate for and kind of, you know, like I was saying near the top of the episode, like you need to use them as systems of checks on one another. Like whether you characterize them as like an anarchist or a Marxist approach or like a non-hierarchical versus a, a more systematic approach, you could call it, or, you know, vitalism versus dialectics or whatever, like, quickly oscillating between the two and checking your work against each other is probably a really good way to go. And you don't necessarily have to bring it from the, uh, from the anarchist side either. Like you were saying, Dan, earlier, Maoists within the Marxist left have done an excellent job of pointing out the problems of ossification and stagnation of bureaucracy. And, um, you know, I mostly know about Maoism through Badiou, which is the Badiou and Maoism is kind of its own thing, but it does seem like there is a real embrace of the, the, in Hegelian terms, you would call it the finding the rational in the real, right? Finding the revolutionary potential in the existing proletariat, in the, the workings and the relations of them, and letting that be the material basis that leads your decision-making process to further socialism, as opposed to something like what we saw in the the later declining years of the USSR, where their alternative to reorienting from a, a Marxist proletarian kind of perspective was to let in trace amounts of liberalism right. to supplement certain areas of the economy, which is disastrous. You should not do that. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. No, I mean the, the, the debate there, I usually, and I'm, I oversimplify it probably, but where I see the, the, it boiling down to is, um, it's really a debate over the primacy of, you know, the development of the productive forces, in society mm -hmm. as a progressive force versus the primacy of changing the relations of production, basically, you know, how the actual division of labor is done within the actual, uh, you know, production process. And, and, and I usually look at, you know, the, the Maoist side is usually really focused on, on adjusting the, the relations of production first and foremost, which I, and I think there's a very valid critique to be had there because as you said, like we have seen, repeatedly especially in the eastern european socialist projects that there would be a sort of mechanical um viewpoint of that it's like if we just keep if we keep developing the technology we'll be able to do less and less individual human labor and we'll we'll coast along the automation road to communism and it's yeah. like that's ah, a really simplistic positivist view that I don't actually think Marx would agree with. And I think we've well, yeah, seen the it, results of that didn't really work out that well. It, it reproduces a lot of the very undialectical kind of technocratic yes. brain that was popular, especially around the time of the Russian revolution and during the industrial revolution. And I think should be familiar to us because it's seen a Renaissance in the information age. You, yeah. Your Ray Kurzweil's and your Elon Musk's and all of these fucking capitalist dickheads. Uh, and you know, there were Benito Mussolini's of that time right. as well. But, uh, these capitalist dickheads who keep telling us like, oh, if we just keep developing the productive forces of capital, 
capital under this system, eventually the technology will get so good that everyone's lives will be better. And under capitalism, it falls apart because of a different logic. It's because nothing ever actually trickles down or is ever delivered to the proletarian class in capitalism at all. But in communism, it also like really fails, I think, to forgive the word, but to capitalize on the movement yes. uh, and the development of the uh, relations of production. And in that way, I think anarchists and, and especially uh, many Maoists are really doing uh, a huge credit to Marxism in showing that, because not only does developing the relations of production like help on the ground determine going forward what your like structure of society is going to be like, but it also gives people a psychological investment in the, in the expansion and betterment of both the relations and the productive forces, because when you're, you know, if the productive forces are speeding up, that might be nice. Like, Oh, you know, my iPhone is better. Um, Oh, I can get a donut delivered now. I don't have to go buy the donut. But like, if your relations of production are changing at the same time, you really start to feel like you're in charge of more and more elements of your own life. And that can have a really important snowballing effect. And it's also like, you know, my big critique of a lot of anarchists is like, you know, we haven't taught people how to be anarchists yet. Right. You can't just snap to statelessness because people aren't going to know what to do. They're not primed for it. Right. But if, if you are in a state of advancing the relations of production in tandem in, in a, in a harmonious, and I would even say like to, to borrow a cybernetics term, uh, uh, in a system that has syntegrity, that is in a, in a state of metastable, you know, equilibrium, um, then you're really going to both give people the incentive and the the political immediacy of your project that they can really feel what's going on. Because I think this is a problem that a lot of revolutions face where it's like during the revolution, everyone's hype because they know what the problem is. They know what they're shooting for. But after the revolution, it can be difficult to figure out exactly what kind of social energy you need to be tapping into to keep people engaged with the socialist project. And that development of the relations of production, I think, is really the thing, right? Yeah. That's what does it. I, I, and I think I, I try to, you know, I try to pull from those critiques. I think there's a lot of valid stuff in there. The spot that, you know, keeps me from being a Maoist and kind of, or like an, an anarchist or any of these other things is I, I guess I kind of think of myself as, I guess, in that, in, in, in our realm, a bit of a centrist. Um, sure. Is that I think that in a lot of cases that critique gets taken to a bit of an idealist framework. The idea that mm-hmm. it, 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 and I know Maoists won't like this because I'm borrowing it from a, a group that, you know, they're not going to agree with, but it really feels to me like it's pulling from the theory of permanent revolution that, mm-hmm. you know, the Trotskyists throw out there, which I'm like, I totally get where this is coming from. I do think that we need to, um, really address these issues of the relations of production, but you also have to acknowledge the um, issues that you're going to result in with all of these, um, that trying to carry the revolution in this level of fervor for such Mm -hmm. a long period of time also, you know, can burn people out because like everybody doesn't necessarily want to be like, at this insane level of mobilization at all times, like in the same way that you, you know, you don't want to leave things in this static, uh, ossified, uh, situation where you're, you're kind of just reproducing a, a bureaucratic mode carried over from capitalism. At the same time, you also have to understand that like 
changing the relations of production is a process. It's not a moment. And, and, and I think right. that that level of dialectic, like looking at things that way sometimes leaves out the necessity of, of having that ebb and flow periods where, where not that like you're purposefully, you know, slowing down your revolutionary change, but part of going to the masses, part of actually like making a truly democratic state is also taking the input from people when they're like, all right, I think, you know, we've made these changes. These are working. Let's, let's leave these the way they are for the moment for a little bit until they start to like, while these processes develop. And I think it's just this, there's a balance there to be found. And, right. and, and that I think sometimes gets left out in, in some of the specifically the Maoist critiques where you'll have, you know, stuff like, well, because the, the revolution in the, the USSR didn't, you know, end up achieving communism and that they didn't, you know, completely abolish the concept of like, you know, management and, 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 and employer employee that, that like, therefore the USSR was actually capitalist the whole time. I'm like, Oh, I don't, I think that's taking it a bit too far. And that's, that's an empty kind of semantic argument as well. Like, I don't think that people who are doing that are really engaging with the material state of like productive forces and relations of the USSR at that time. They're just trying to anarch, anachronistically and retroactively say like, well, this looks like capitalism today because it shares X and Y traits with it. And therefore it is. And it's like, okay, it looks like a duck, but it didn't walk like a duck or quack like a duck. So it's even failing the common sense test here, you know? Right. Um, and, but, but to, I guess to bring this back to the, the anarchist critique that you're, that you're drawing from here. Um, mm-hmm. I think that one of the, the things that I think is very interesting here that Malatesta is talking about where he's specifically talking about that when he's talking about the state, even when he's talking about the government, that doesn't mean society at large because today you'll see, I think sometimes, and this is again, I don't really think you see this from any serious groups, but you'll see it online, especially from uh, white, usually upper middle class leftists in like the Mm -hmm. Imperial core. The idea that, um, supporting like national liberation struggles is somehow reactionary because that the idea that abolishing the state means abolishing nations. And it's, and it's like, yeah, yeah, that's why it's like, that's not, no, (laughs) that's not it. Yeah. That's not at all what we're trying to do. Like, you know, it's like, um, a lot of people will say like, oh, then you're going to abolish, you know, religion or whatever along with it. And it's like, no, I think, you know, we'll abolish probably the Catholic church if we get the chance, but if you still want to be Catholic and give stuff up for Lent and observe holidays of minor saints, go the fuck ahead. (laughs) I'm like, who cares? (laughs) Right. Absolutely. 